How's the bridge doing today? Somebody got it. Eight weeks we've been at this thing. Come on, guys. How's the bridge doing today? I am blessed. Doesn't matter what circumstances got going on in your life. You've got Jesus. You are blessed. Got to get an amen in the house. So we're wrapping up a series today. It's a long series, longer than we normally do. But, you know, when we started talking about it, I said, I just really feel in my spirit that we need to teach the Beatitudes. We need to walk through these things and help people to understand what did Jesus even mean when he said you're blessed, when you're poor in spirit, when you're meek, when you're mourning. What did that even mean? Uh, and so the next question was, okay, that's kind of a long series for us, but which one do you leave out? I mean, just you can't leave any of them out. So we're wrapping that series up, and I hope it's been a blessing to you. I hope that it is. And if you haven't been with us, you're just joining us now, then go to info at bridgechurch.cc. I'd be glad to send you the manuscripts or the very notes that I'm using. Uh, you can watch online through Vimeo as well. Uh, go to our website and click on uh, recent messages and, and you can watch them and catch up. I really believe that there are some deep teachings in here that will help you a great deal. They've helped me a great deal, both in the, the times that I've done this study in the past and even uh, in the circumstances of mine and Kim's life. Uh, right now, going back through this study has been very powerful for me uh, because the bottom line is I am blessed no matter what the circumstances of my life happen to be right now. Can I get an amen? That word blessed is the word makarios that means to be supremely fortunate, to be favored by God, and we're learning how to live in that fortune, in that favor, uh, even though we still live in a sin-cursed world. We've made four general observations uh, about the series, let me, about the Beatitudes. Let me mention them quickly, and we'll get into our final one today. Observation number one is that they are counterintuitive. It seems opposite to say you're blessed if you're poor, you're blessed if you're sad, you're blessed if you're, if you're uh, meek. I mean, what does that even mean until you understand the second thing, and that is that this idea of being blessed has nothing to do with our current set of circumstances. It, in fact, third observation, has to do with who we are in Christ. You see that the eight beatitudes, the eight uh, attitudes that are listed there are in fact character traits, traits of Christ. And as we become more like him, as those character traits become a part of our lives, then it's not that we're trying to be blessed, it's that we are. Because we are more like him, we are blessed in the circumstances, whatever they happen to be. Which leads us to the fourth observation I've made a couple of times, and that is that I believe God put them in order. I believe Jesus laid them out in a specific order. They build on one another. You can go back in the previous messages if you missed that, missed that and pick it up. But I think today makes it very clear that the last one was the last one on purpose. And that is verse 10. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. You've got a Bible you can flip there. You go to the Bridge Church, uh, the Bridge NC app and, and load, uh, download that and follow, or you can follow on the screens. But let's get into it today. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 10. This happens to be the longest of the Beatitudes. It encompasses verse 10, 11, and 12. We'll read verse 10 to get us started. But, uh, but I think there's a reason that it's the longest, too, because Jesus wanted us to get this one. So here we go. It's on the screens. Let's read it. One, two, three, go. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So can I ask you a question right up front? Can I just, let's just see if we're on the same page. How many of you figured out that if you want to live a blessed life, if you want to recognize the blessings of your life, you got to let go of the myth that you're going to be liked by everybody? If you, can I get an amen in the room? I mean, it's just, it's just the way it is. The fact is, if you do anything of value in any discipline of the world, there are going to be some people who aren't going to like what you're doing. It's just, that's just what's going to happen. Haters going to hate. I mean, it's just what they do, right? 
but especially if you're serious about making a good commitment for Jesus Christ. I, I've found through the years that there's some people who just simply haven't understood, understood my level of commitment. Sometimes they were believers, but they just didn't understand my level of commitment. Other times, uh, there are people that just didn't like it. They just they thought I was stupid. Uh, and then there are others who, who simply uh, didn't like me because my commitment made them uncomfortable at the reality that they haven't made one. Is that true? And so let me just be as clear as I know how right up front, not trying to bring you down this morning. I'm trying to bring you up, but let me be as clear as I know how. If you've made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ in your life, it is not a matter of if you will be persecuted for that. It is only a matter of when and what form it will take. Okay? So this is one of those messages that I I need you to lean in. Uh, and, and really get to because it's true for all of us no matter what our circumstance of life. It, and some will say, well, yeah, that's America is going anti-Christian these days, and I don't necessarily disagree with that, but the statement I just made isn't true just now. It was true a couple thousand years ago. Paul said, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what does it say? Will be, not might be, will be persecuted. The point is if you, if you want to live a blessed life, you got to be prepared for it when it comes because it's going to come, okay? Otherwise, it'll steal your joy when it comes. You'll find yourself going, woe is me, when it comes. So today, what I want us to spend our time in is just this, how do you deal with it? How do you handle persecution when it comes? Now, I need to say one more thing before we get into it, okay? Just a little side note here. Jesus and Paul are talking about a certain kind of persecution, Right? They're not talking about the kind of persecution that might come. Uh, it's kind of like high school drama stuff. That's not what he's talking about. Well, so-and-so doesn't like me anymore. Well, I don't think I like them anymore. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about getting persecuted because you're an obnoxious Christian that's going around hitting people over the head with a two-ton Bible saying, turn and burn, die and fry while we go to the sky. That's not what he's talking about either. I've known people stand on the street corner and preach, repent or be damned, and then when everybody gave them a hard time, they came back and said, I'm persecuted for Jesus. No, you're persecuted for being a jerk. (laughs) You're doing more damage than good out there yelling at people. Come on, that doesn't work. Jesus didn't do that. What he's saying is um, to Christian teenagers, singles, when you tell your classmates, when you tell your friends, I'm a virgin and I intend to stay that way till I'm married, some people are going to applaud you, but some are going to make fun of you. It's going to happen. When you say, you know, I, I, I choose not to drink, I choose not to use drugs, some people are going to follow your lead and others are going to pressure you to follow theirs. It's going to happen. If you're a business person and you go into, the, into your company and say, you know, I'm not going to sacrifice my integrity on the altar of profit, some will applaud you, but let a deal come along that would be profitable for everybody and you have to turn a blind eye to something in order to make it happen and you reaffirm your commitment. There's some people who applauded you before who are going to get mad at you now. That's just reality. So the question is, how do you handle those things? And more importantly, how do you handle those things without losing this sense of I'm blessed, I'm living a blessed life? I see five things in Scripture. Let me walk through them with you, and then you can uh, walk through them with me in your own context, your own life. Number one is if you want to stay blessed in the midst of persecution, you've got to recognize the source. First of all, you've got to recognize the source. And that does not mean when somebody says something that you have permission to say, you know, he's a jerk. You can't expect any better from him than that. That's not what I'm saying. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 tells us the source. Uh, 
You ready? One, two, three, go. We are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against who? The evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world. Guys, if you're going to deal with persecution for righteousness, you've got to know who your real enemy is. And your real enemy is not the person who's coming against you. It's not the unbeliever or the legalistic Christian that's coming against you. It's not the person that's giving you a hard time. Your real enemy is the one who is controlling them. Understand, God kicked Satan out of heaven because of his pride a long, long time ago, and he wants to get back at God, but he can't. So what's the next best thing to do if you can't get back at somebody? You go after their kids. If you want to hurt him, you'll go after the kids. And so that's what he's doing. He can't go after God, so he goes after his kids. So when persecution comes, remind yourself the person coming after you is not the one you're at war with. He's just a pawn. And that's important because if you attack the person, even if you win the argument, even if you gain the upper hand in the conversation, Satan will just send another soldier because that's not your real enemy, okay? Moving on, which leads us to the second thing you got to do if you want to stay blessed in the midst of persecution is you got to refuse to retaliate. You got to refuse to retaliate. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Read it with me. One, two, three, go. Never pay back evil for evil to who? who? Anyone. The jerk at work? Your brother-in-law that always acts up when you have family gatherings? I mean, come on. Who's anyone? It's anyone. Do things in such a way that who? Everyone can see you are honorable. Hear that? So that everyone can see that you're honorable. Does that include the persecutor? Yeah. Is it the people that you're sharing your faith with that are watching how you're going to react? Yeah. Is it your children that you're trying to teach what it means to be a follower of Christ? Yeah. You don't pay back evil for evil because you need everyone in your sphere of influence to see that you are, in fact, Honorable, and that's incredibly difficult unless you fix your mind on this is not the real enemy. This is not the real enemy. Follow me for a minute. I want you to make sure we get this, and we're going to move on. If Satan is the commander-in-chief of the battle, the Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air, okay? And if you repay evil with evil, who just won? He did, right? Because he got you to come over to his side. You see, the deal is that he sees you living for God. That's why you got attacked to begin with. And then if he can get you to to respond his way, then he just got you living for him, which is what he was after to begin with. So when persecution comes, you got to remember that we're we're not going to be mistaken about who the true source is, and we're going to refuse to Retaliate. So go back to Matthew 5. I told you it's the longest of the Beatitudes. So let's pick it up in, in verse 11 because Jesus actually helps us by giving us three different types of persecution that you can be prepared for, need to be prepared for. Look at verse 11. Blessed are you when people, what? Insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. So say it again. Insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against uh, you or me. How, what's he talking about? Let's unpack those. Let's make sure we understand, okay? So he's talking about, first of all, when people insult you, what's he talking about? He's talking about when people find something 
that's sensitive to you and they go after that sensitive subject because they know they can get under your skin when they do. That's what they're talking about. It's somebody calls you shorty because you're less than average height or somebody calls you carrot top because you've got red hair or, or they call you lefty because you've got a left hand or, or, or worse, they call you long-winded preacher. I mean, At least I'm not like the preacher that told his congregation one time. He said, I, I, I want to be a better preacher, so please, please give me feedback. I want, to, I want to improve. I want to get better. And so after the service, old Joe came to him. Gentle old Joe came and said, well, Pastor, I, I want to do what you said. So I guess there's three things I could say that might help you to improve your preaching. He said, uh, first of all, um, you read your sermon. And the pastor said, oh, okay, well, I, I guess I could, I could rehearse some more. I, I can see that, okay. He says, secondly, you read it badly. <laughs> okay, I, I guess I could work on that. It was third, it won't worth reading to start with. <laughs> Just about the preacher's feeling, woe is me, beat up. One of the elders came by and said, oh, pastor, don't feel bad. Oh, Joe just repeats what he hears everybody else saying. <laughs> When people insult you, when they come after that thing that, that they know is going to get under your skin, for me, it's when people come and say, where's the meat, Pastor? Where's the meat? I need some meat. There's no meat in your sermons. I told one guy one time, he had said that so many times, I looked at him and said, dude, you aren't doing half of what I'm talking about already. And the Bible says to know to do good and do it not to sin. You want me to heap some more sin on you? <laughs> he shut up. He quit coming back at me. What's the second kind Jesus talked about in our verse? When people persecute you. He's talking about when people treat you unfairly because of your faith. Now, let's be honest about this one, okay? In America, that typically shows up in terms of, of maybe getting passed over for a promotion because you're not one of the good old boys at work, or, or, or maybe you get left out of invitations to, to lunch and events because they're going to be doing stuff that they know you don't want to do, so they kind of leave you out because you're a Christian. But for the rest of the world, persecution is a whole different story. David Barrett, who writes the center, leads the Center for Study of Global Christianity, uh, recently wrote that there were 45 million Christian martyrs in the 20th century alone. Best estimates are from 150 to 160,000 people die somewhere in the world every year because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That's four or 500 people a day somewhere on the planet. In our own work in Belize, some of you know we have a campus in Belize, and all day last year, pastor's house was burned to the ground. He was the leader of the outreach to the Mayan population on Belize, doing some amazing things, reaching into that, the, uh, that culture that has been far from God and deeply pagan, and he's helping them come to know Jesus Christ. And today, uh, Jerry Allen, who leads our Belize team, says, that, yeah, it was definitely arson, and they have every reason to believe that it was because of his work for the Lord that they burned his home down. But hear me, whatever form or level it takes. Jesus said, consider yourself blessed when it happens. What's the third kind? It's when people falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Agree? The world loves to find fault with Christians? Yeah, they do. I mean, and if they can't find something, they'll make something up. They'll just come up with something. Remember when that happens to you, Jesus was lied about too. 
Jesus was called a party animal. He was called a friend to sinners. <coughs> I mean, even his own family came to him one side and said, come on, Jesus, I, you've lost your mind. Come on, come home. We'll take care of you. They meant well, but they weren't telling the truth. Guys, if you want to continue to live a blessed life in the face of whatever insults, persecutions, or lies come to you because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you've got to recognize the source. It is not the person or persons who it is saying it. It's the commander of the prince of the power of the air that's, that's pushing them, and you've got to refuse to retaliate. But not just that, you've got to respond in love. If you really want to stay in the, in the zone of this blessed life, on the road to this blessed life, you've got to respond in love. Romans chapter 12, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but, what does it say? Overcome evil with good. So, so can I ask you a tough question? I mean, you don't have to answer. You can sit real still. Um, but I, I'm going to ask it, okay? It's just polite to ask for permission. Uh, is, is, is that your normal response? when you're insulted or treated unfairly or lied about? What's the natural response? Natural response is to go defensive, right? I deserve better than that. How dare you? And then from there, you go to counterattack. You, you come back at them with something else. That's, that's what we do. That's the natural thing. But Jesus said we should respond in love. In fact, verse 44 of 5, I didn't put it on the screens, but here you go. He said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Hear me. The only way you're going to do that is if you choose your attitudes and actions based on who you are in Christ rather than who the person is that you're interacting with. It's the only way you're going to be able to do that. If I mentioned in this series that the road to the blessed life has more to do with becoming like Jesus, it is trying to be poor in spirit or trying to, to be meek or trying to be these other things. It's about becoming like him. When you finally face, find yourself facing insults or, or unfair treatment or lies, for Jesus' sake, if you want to live the blessed life, you've got to recognize the source. You've got to refuse to retaliate. You've got to respond in love. And then Jesus goes even a step further. He says, rejoice over it. <laughs> rejoice over it. Come on. You're kidding. No, I'm serious. If you want to live the blessed life in the face of these things, you've got to learn to rejoice over it. I want to camp out on this one for a minute. I want to make sure we get this one. This is hard sometimes. You know, our natural response is, give me a break. I'm not going to rejoice about that. But that's what the early church members did. Matthew chapter 5, verse 41. The apostles left the high council, which was the religious leaders of the day that were going after them, the, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees that were going after them. When they left that place, they left doing what? Rejoicing that God had counted them, read it with me, rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. They got so excited that they got to suffer for Jesus who had just died for them that they got, they, they started celebrating. They started rejoicing. Yes, guess what we got to do? Now, that may sound crazy for you. It may sound like, I don't know that that's possible. But let me give you three reasons the Bible gives us why we can and should. First reason that came to my mind is because, is because it means that God's Spirit has, has, is showing. You're rejoicing because God's Spirit can be seen in your life. If not, Satan wouldn't be going after you. Right? 
In fact, I'll say it this way. If you've been with us in this series, if you've been watching uh, this series, paying attention to this series, and, and week by week you've been relating to some of these topics of, of mourning and, and even uh, peacemaking as Pastor Andy brought to us last week or walking through these topics, but now you're sitting there saying, well, I've related to some of these topics, but you know, I really haven't been persecuted. I haven't really been hassled from my faith. Then what does that tell you? Does that suggest that maybe nobody's noticed? That you're a follower of Jesus Christ? That nobody has seen the Spirit of God operating in your life? Is, is that a possibility? You ought to give some thought to that. First Peter chapter 4, verse 13. I like the way the message paraphrases it. If you're abused because of Christ, count yourself fortunate. It is, the, that's the word makarios, by the way, the Greek word makarios. Count yourself fortunate. It is the Spirit of God and His glory in you that brought you to the notice of others. Okay, I get, I, all right, Pastor, I, I see how it would bring notice, but, but why does God's Spirit showing through me bring persecution? Is that a good question to explore? I think it's worthy of exploring so that we'll understand it. And and so lean in just a minute. I want you to get this. Understand that the more you become like Jesus, the more clearly you represent Jesus in the world. That makes sense, right? You become his ambassadors, and, and people see Jesus through you. That's our prayer. Lord, see Jesus in me, right? Well... If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're becoming like him, nobody's suggesting you're perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Ain't none of God's children perfect. I thought I'd get an amen out of that somewhere. But it does mean that you represent Jesus in two particular ways, he said, and that is light and truth. All right? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So when you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you go out into the world, you represent light. Well, light's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Isn't light a wonderful thing? Is, is light always a wonderful thing? Uh, how about 3 o'clock in the morning when your wife turns on every light in the house to kill the mosquito that's been buzzing around her head? Well, that never happened to you? Oh, oh it never happened to me either. Uh, no, it never happened to me either. So let's just imagine that something like that happened. Kim's watching online. Hey, lo- darling, I love you. Uh, just imagine that. Just How do you think you would respond if that happened to you? Did I mention that the natural response is to go defensive and then counterattack? That, that's, that's exactly what would happen. It would be like, pull the covers over your head, that's the defensive posture, and then it's, turn that thing off, I'm trying to sleep. That's the natural response. Well, guys, that's what the world does when you walk into the room. As a a follower of Jesus Christ, as a representative of Jesus Christ, you expose them to the light. Guys, people who do their deeds in darkness don't want the lights turned on. And so they do the same thing to you that I might have done to my wife that night (laughs) if it happened, hypothetically, you know. They go defensive and then they counterattack. So you recognize when you're harassed for your faith, don't let it zap, zap your joy, rejoice. It means God's spirit can be seen in you. They've seen the light shining through you. Rejoice in that. What's the second thing? What's the other thing we represent as Christians? What did I say? Truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. So again, is truth always good? Well, well sure, it is, but, but it can be hard sometimes too. Um, don't look at them, but anybody, ever, anybody have any friends who are know-it-alls? Just look at me. Just look straight at me. Kim and I had a friend some time ago from, uh, from L.A. who was a, uh, the premier know-it-all. He knew everything there was to know about everything, and he would just drive us absolutely crazy. Didn't matter what type. You talk about cars. He knew the make, the model, the car engine, the, the different options. The, he knew everything there was to know about a car. And then you switch over to computers, and he knew every computer that was on the market and the model numbers and how much they sold for and the suggested retail. And then you switch over to some kitchen appliance, and he knew all about that too. And he just he knew everything. And then we'd do some research and find out he actually did know all that stuff. So the only thing worse than a know-it-all is a know-it-all who actually knows it all. <laughs> Why? Because it shows up our ignorance. And we don't like the way that feels. So when you represent light, you point out their darkness Without saying a word, the Holy Spirit has a way of getting to their hearts. When you represent truth, you expose their ignorance. Without saying a word, the Holy Spirit shining through you helps them to understand something or see something that they've been ignoring. So if somebody comes after you for your faith, don't get defensive. Don't counterattack. Rejoice. It's an indicator that God's Spirit is shining through you. Does that make sense? And at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do is help people see Jesus. The second reason I think the Bible says that we are to rejoice is because when you're persecuted for your faith, it actually means that Jesus can trust you with that. That should make you proud in an appropriate way. I say that because of 1 Corinthians 10, 13 Again, I love the way the message paraphrases that no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed beyond your limit. He will always be there to help you come through it. So that is that says simply, no matter what you're going through, Satan whispers in your ear, you're the only one that's ever been through that. Has he ever told you that? You're the only one. Nobody understands. You have to isolate yourself from the body of Christ because they won't understand. Understand it is the liar, the accuser, the brothers that's telling you that. Whatever it is that you're facing, a lot of other people have faced it too. It's one of the reasons I love small groups. We get in a small group and start talking. And we find out, hey, you've been through that too? Oh, you're struggling with that too? Oh, you're having that issue too? There's something that happens in those environments. You find out we're in this together. But perhaps more importantly on today's subject, he said whatever it is, everything that happens in your life is father-filtered. He won't let it be more than you can handle. And he knows how much you can handle, therefore he will bring you through it. So whatever you're going through right now, it says God knows you can handle it. It says that he trusts you with it, or he wouldn't be allowing you to go through it. Is it difficult? Sure, but he trusts you with it. And he's got a plan, and he's working you into his plan. 
Um, I could give you so many examples, and we can just camp out right here and tell stories the rest of the morning, but I see the clock. Uh, but I'm going to tell you a couple just to make sure we're on the same page. I, I had the privilege, most of you know that we were missionaries to the Philippines uh, through the, throughout the 80s and have stayed in touch with the Philippine work. Some of them are watching online even right now, I'm sure, and uh, just great friends that are still there. We planted a church in the remote mountains of Abra, northern Luzon, a village called Tamak. And Tamak uh, was in the heart of the New People's Army communist guerrilla group. And one day, uh, the, 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 the village elder had said some things against the MPA, and they came into the village and they killed him. We came not too long after that for a series of services, and, and we came to town. It's the first thing that we learned. Of course, these little remote villages, you don't have communications. You have no way of knowing what's happened until you get there. And we came into the village, and one of the first things they told us is that the, the church family was grieving and, uh, and why. And then we had the service that night, and they sang a song in the local dialect that I didn't understand. But the pastor of that local church leaned over to me during the service, and he said, uh, uh, Brother Jim, I, I want to translate what they're singing. Okay, great. Yeah, I'd love to know what they're singing. It was the NPA, New People's Army's battle song. It was the song that they sang as they marched through the jungles, but they had rewritten the words to the song. So they were singing that battle song, but they had rewritten the words. And the one line that I still remember, the pastor whispered in my ear, is they sang, you may shoot us with bullets and we'll die, but we'll shoot you with love and you will live. There are at least a dozen churches that have planted out of that village into the villages in that region because they understood how to deal with persecutions. I read not, the, not too long ago that Chinese Christians are said to pray for American Christians they say because persecution that we've faced has made us strong and we want the American church to be strong too. They understood that persecution won't destroy your faith. In fact, it will deepen it. It's like a hammer hitting a nail. If you understand what's going on, that nail's just getting deeper, driven deeper into the wood. That's all that's going on because God won't let it be more than you can handle. And if you'll allow him, he will use this, work this into a pattern for good in your life and for the good of the building and the kingdom of God. One more story. you got time for one more story. Seoul, Korea, one of the largest churches on the planet. Last accounting, I had 800,000 members, uh, 80,000 small groups. They have their small group leaders meetings in a soccer stadium, <laughs> you know. This is phenomenal church. You may have heard of, of Young Yi Cho and, and Central Gospel Church in Seoul. I don't know, but what you may not know, even if you've heard of the church, uh, is how that church was born. It was born in persecution. Early 20th century, one of the first Korean Christian pastors was taken out to the outskirts of town by soldiers, and his family and the entire congregation followed them out to town and they watched while they made the pastor dig a hole and they made him get down in the hole and then they pointed their guns at him and said repudiate your belief in Jesus Christ or we're going to kill you now. With the whole congregation looking on with his children crying, weeping around him, pulling at his legs, this pastor is said to have wrestled with what to do until his wife put her hand over his mouth and said, we get to die for the glory 
of God. That was the birth of the Christian church in Korea, South Korea, which is now at least 50% Christian a century later. Now, I know that's a, that's a jarring story for many of us, but the fact of the matter is, is it really so bad? I don't know if you know this or not, but the death rate now is one per person. I don't, did, did, you know that, right? So would it be so bad to die for something worthwhile? I mean, would it be so bad to be taken out for something that has eternal value and will impact millions of people's lives? I somehow don't think it would be all that bad, particularly when you consider that Jesus decided we were worth dying for. So while I don't wish persecution on any of us, hear me, when you face it, whether it's insults or persecution or or lies or even martyrdom, realize what it means. It means that God's Spirit is showing through you and He knows He can trust you with it for the sake of the kingdom of God. The third thing to remember is that my pain may be temporary, but my rewards are forever. My pain may be temporary, but my rewards are forever. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Pick it back up in Matthew 5, verse 12. Now rejoice and be glad, Jesus said, because great is your reward in heaven. So I can put up with a little hater's speech now. I can put up with a little persecution for for now because one day I'm going to be rewarded. For thousands, no tens of, no hundreds of thousands, no millions, no hundreds of millions, billions of years, I'm going to get rewarded simply because I stood faithful for Jesus Christ. And I know I'm a little bit weird, but I get this picture in my mind of coming into heaven and there's this big theater uh, scene and this giant marquee and in big letters it says, now appearing for all eternity, Jesus Christ himself co-starring Jim Wall. (laughs) That ain't bad, right? Now appearing Jesus Christ himself co-starring Vicky Buss. I mean, how could it get better than that? Put your name in there, co-starring Tim or Cheryl or Brittany or Whoever you are, put your name in there. That's what we're talking about. Consider Stephen, the first martyr to Christianity. The Bible says that when they began to stone him, he looked up toward heaven and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. It's the only place in Scripture you see Jesus uh, standing after he went back to heaven. Normally they talk about him sitting at the right hand of God. Some orators have suggested that Stephen got a standing ovation from Jesus Christ himself. All I know is there are some things worth living for. There are some things worth dying for. When persecution comes for your faith, recognize the source, refuse to retaliate, respond in love, and rejoice. Which leads me to the last point in Al-Hash. At the end of the day, we've got to remain faithful till he comes. Just remain faithful. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, so if you're suffering according to God's will, if you're suffering according to God's will, keep on doing what is right and trust yourself to the God who made you, for he will never 
failure. I, I just I got to close with this thought. Make sure that you understand this simple truth. I think there's some a lot of teachings in Christendom these days, uh, particularly in the American church, that we need to be aware of. There are some who will teach you on this end of the pendulum that if you give your life to Jesus Christ, joy in this life is over forever. You have to drive a black car and wear black clothes and wear a bun on the top of your head and don't you dare smile or laugh. The pleasure is over until you get to heaven. It's a little drudgery now, but it's pie in the sky one day. That's what they teach. The pendulum on the other extreme is if you accept Christ, everything from now on is going to be rosy. It'll be tiptoeing through the tulips till Jesus comes. You're going to be in perfect health and have plenty of money, and, and, and everybody's going to love you, and God wants you to prosper in all things. And that, that sounds attractive. That sounds wonderful. It just ain't true. The truth is somewhere between those two extremes. And the truth is, hear me, the Christian life is the best life there is. If there was no such thing as heaven, I'd still be a Christian because this is the best life there is. Heaven is the gravy on the other side of these meat potatoes. I live blessed because I live for Jesus Christ. Best life there is, but Jesus didn't pull any punches. There's a price tag for that commitment. Christianity is not a crutch for cowards. It's a blessed life for the courageous. So the question is, what will you do? What will you do? I like the way Woodrow Wilson put it, our president, 100 more years ago. He said, I'd rather lose temporarily with a cause that will ultimately succeed than temporarily win with a cause that will ultimately fail. That's what Christians who live the best life, blessed life, say too. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a roadmap to the blessed life. As we reflect on the central sermon of your life, the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly these first eight Beatitudes, help us to reflect on what it means to to become more like you in each one of those areas. Then at the end of the day, at the end of the series, at the end of the teaching, help us to remain faithful in Christ Jesus. Keep your heads bowed for a minute. I'm going to ask you to join me in a prayer today. I realize there may be some of you here, you've never made a commitment to follow Christ, and, and, and maybe some of the things I've talked about today are scary to you. I don't know. We've got an altar team that will be here after the service. They would love to talk with you about it and pray with you about it. We'd love to answer your questions about that. But I need to speak to those of you that are followers of Jesus Christ for just a minute. I need to simply ask you the question, how's it going in your life on this subject? If, If you can't honestly say that you've been insulted or persecuted or lied about because of your faith, then maybe your prayer is, Lord, help me to get close enough to you that you'll start showing. And if you're facing persecution right now, an insult or a lie or something, 
for your faith, and maybe your prayer is, Lord, help me to respond your way. I want to recognize the true source, my true enemy. I don't want to retaliate. I don't want to get defensive and counterattack. I want to rejoice. Help me to remain faithful. So would you pray that simple prayer with me right now? Pray it silently. Pray it aloud. I don't care. But would you pray that prayer? Because that's my prayer today for me. That's who I want to be. Lord, help me. Here we go. Lord, help me when I face persecution to recognize the source, to refuse to retaliate, to, in fact, respond in love, to rejoice that the Spirit of God can be seen in me, that you're trusting me with this for your glory and your kingdom. And ultimately, my temporary pain will mean eternal rewards. Help me to remain faithful. Father, you know who's praying right now. You know exactly what's going on in their lives. And I pray that each one of us would live this blessed life that not only would bring glory to your name, but we would see what you meant when you said, I've come to give you life and that life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, either one of those prayers, I'd really love to know about it. Write me a note on your Connect card. The ushers will be at the door as you're on your way out. Uh, Please turn your Connect card in. Can I say a word while I'm saying about that? I I discover every week people that are a regular part of this church family, and I go to look for your phone number or your mailing address or your email, and you're not in our system because you didn't fill out a Connect card. Please fill out your Connect cards. Leave them with the usher on your way out. First-time guests, stop by VIP. We've got a gift we'd like to put in your hands that says thank you for coming, being a part of what God is doing in the bridge. Let's pray together. Father, go with us from this place. Keep us blessed. Use us for your glory and bring us together again at the appointed time. In Jesus' name and all God's people said amen. Amen. The altars are open. Take advantage of that opportunity. Come and pray with our team this morning.